Thank you, Steve and Yvonne, and thank you, Rock Valley Bible Church, for welcoming me here today. It's really a joy to be here. I've known about your church, as Steve said, for 15 years uh, through Ken and Sally Woodhouse, his sister and brother-in-law. We've become friends and uh, had dinners together at their home in Elgin and just have admired Steve and Yvonne's faithfulness in ministry here through those many years, and it's been a joy to hear about how your church has developed and grown, and we have other friends here, Peter and Renee Held. Peter was a youth minister at our church years ago, and it's great to see you guys have, it looks like, three kids now, and uh, wonderful uh, to be here today. And I want to thank you for your partnership with Word Partners. As Steve said, I, I still serve on the pastoral team of our church in St. Charles, but uh, my full-time job now is to be the president of this uh, mission organization, and I never dreamed I'd be doing that, even though for my whole life I've had a passion for the global advance of the gospel. And it was the combination of that, that passion for the nations and the fact that our church had also shared in this ministry for many years, and then the nature of Word Partners Ministry, which is all about training and equipping pastors to preach God's word with God's heart in all the nations of the world, that I, I decided I needed to surrender and see if God was leading me in the direction of leading this ministry. And it's been uh, just quite an opportunity to have this uh, open up um, to serve the Lord in this way. You've been faithfully supporting Word Partners as a church for 13 consecutive years. Uh, that is a long time of uh, pouring your prayers and your resources into this ministry, and we're really grateful. As Steve said, he's traveled with this ministry six times. He's been very passionate in his involvement with Word Partners, and he's been especially focused on the work of training pastors in Asia. And I thought it would be good if I told you a few of the things that are happening uh, through Word Partners. We're motivated by a vision that is humanly impossible to achieve, but it's divinely guaranteed to succeed. Uh, the vision is that we long to see the Word of God flowing powerfully through every church to every nation. Now, how can we make that happen? We can't. That is humanly impossible to achieve, to see the Word of God flowing powerfully through every church to every nation. And yet, that vision compels us because we believe it's divinely guaranteed to succeed. It says in Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's God's promise. That's where history is heading. And since Pentecost, the, that, that stream of God's word flowing has been happening into all the nations of the world. And it continues to happen to this day. And so that's what gets us going in the morning, to train pastors around the world because we believe that God is at work to cause His Word to flow powerfully through every church to every nation, even as it's doing here at Rock Valley Bible Church. And your pastor has partnered with us in Asia. Uh, recently, I, I had a meeting with our regional director, Alan Jin, who is a great friend of Steve's, a godly man. And he sends you his heartfelt support and thanks 
for your support. He wants me to personally thank you for sending a $5,000 gift at the end of 2022 for training pastors in Asia. Recently in India and in Bangladesh, we had graduations in December of two training groups. And these guys persevered through COVID, what normally takes four years to accomplish. Uh, They did in six years, and uh, they continue to have this passion then to take what they're being trained in God's Word and to multiply that training to other pastors in their area. Nepal is another country on the map on uh, the wall back there in your uh, library. Uh, You can't find Nepal because it's kind of cut off on the right side and on the left side, but that's one of the countries where you have been doing work and that's been a beautiful story of God's grace as, as the Word of God has taken root there in the lives of pastors. And now many uh, Nepalese pastors have moved to the United States. And there's a concentration of them in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where Alan Jin and another pastor are working to train and equip Nepalese pastors, some of whom will return to the country of Nepal. One more story that's been just amazing to me as, as it's been unfolding is in an undisclosed country in Asia. I can't say the name of it, but you'd know it immediately if I I told you. Uh, There's been 12 house church pastors in that country who somehow have gotten connected with some Roman Catholic priests and bishops. And through the amazing grace of God, these priests and bishops in the Roman Catholic Church have gotten very interested in studying the Word of God. And they've gotten involved in our our training workshops, and they're going back into the Catholic Church preaching the Word of God expositionally and preaching Christ in the Catholic Church. And that movement has grown to 40 training groups among Catholics who are digging and discovering what the Scriptures say. And as I hear a story like that, it's like, who could make this happen? This was not our design at all. But it reminds me of how God got a hold of a, a German monk in Germany in the, in the 1500s and he started discovering the truth of the scriptures and, and we know what God did through the Reformation and the revival that took place and I'm just praying that that same thing would happen in this country in Asia. So please pray that God will continue to keep these doors open in these Asian countries so that pastors can continue to be trained to dig and discover what God is saying through his word and to learn to preach the word of God expositionally in their churches. So it's an honor to have you partnering with us and I'm thankful to be able to preach God's word to you today. So please turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. To many believers, these are some of the most precious words in all the Bible. I remember praying these words over my children when they go to bed at night. I remember the church choir singing these words over me when I was ordained into gospel ministry. There are so many things that I love about being a pastor. I love visiting people in the hospital and I love seeing Babies be born to Christian families and then grow up in the church and be nurtured and discipled in the faith and then follow the Lord Jesus in baptism and then grow up and become adults and watch them raise their families to follow Jesus. I love preaching the Word 
uh, to God's people. Lots of things that I love, and I know your, your pastor, Steve, loves being a pastor, but I was thinking about all the things that a pastor does and considering what is it that I love the most? <laughs> what do I enjoy the most about being a pastor? And it was interesting to me as I was thinking about this, something kind of rose to the surface that has become very precious, very meaningful to me through the many years that I've had the joy of leading God's people in worship and, and shepherding God's flock. And it's this simple act that often takes place at the end of our services that we call the benediction. I love the benediction. Benediction means good word. And it's the word of God's blessing on his people. I love pronouncing the blessing of God on the people of God. I love telling God's people that you are loved by him. That his blessing rests on your life irrevocably, unchangeably, even in the face about, of everything about you that makes you feel ashamed of being yourself. Benediction. Good word. I love pronouncing that word over God's people as a pastor. Reminding you that because of what Christ has done, God's blessing rests on your life. And that's the good word that God gives us here in Numbers chapter 6. Hear God's good word over you, His people, as I read verses 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's pray. Father, as we give you thanks for your holy word to us this morning, we pray that you would turn our eyes away from ourselves and all our failures and all our successes. Help us, Lord, to renounce anything in ourselves that we think makes ourselves commendable to you today. And help us, Lord, to not be crushed by anything that we fear makes us condemnable. And help us to hear afresh the good word of your grace and blessing that comes to us in Christ alone. I pray for your spirit to empower me as I speak your words. Oh, how I need the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would stir and comfort and transform the hearts of your people today at Rock Valley Bible Church through your good word to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever we hear these words spoken over our lives, God is at work. 
He is at work to do four things in us that we desperately need Him to do, and we need Him to do it over and over again. First, whenever we hear these words, God is at work to return our hearts to the source of true blessing. How can you tell where you're really looking for blessing? Well, ask yourself, what am I most afraid of losing? Your anger, your fear, your despair, your anxieties, these are all like breadcrumbs leading you down a trail that will take you to the real object of your desires. Maybe you feel really blessed when you've got a lot of money and you're financially secure. You watch the stock market anxiously. You hold on to your money tightly. Because for you, a blessed life is a financially independent life with plenty of money to spare. That's where you think in your heart true blessing lies. Well, maybe you're someone who recognizes the emptiness of trying to find blessing in financial resources. That's not what you're looking for out of life. For you, all that matters is having friends who love you or children who respect you and want to spend time with you or parents who approve of you or a wife or a husband or maybe wishing you had a better wife. Or a better husband. These are the marks of a blessed life to you. This is what your heart is craving. And if things are going well for you relationally, you feel blessed. But when your relationships are stressed, when there's conflict, when friends disappoint and people don't come through for you the way you had expected, then you're dejected. Because for you, people are the source of blessing, relationships. Or maybe you're someone who's learned better than to put your hope in people. But for you, it's about health and fitness or about success in your job. God has a word for all these ways of seeking blessing. And it's in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Whether you're turning to the bucket of wealth or the bucket of family and relationships, or the bucket of friends and fame and success and power, God's saying to us in Jeremiah's prophet, there's a hole in that bucket. It's not going to be able to contain what you're looking for. It's a cracked cistern that can hold no water. But in this word of blessing that we read here in Numbers chapter 6, he's calling us back, back to the fountain of living waters. Just as he spoke to the children of Israel through Moses and Aaron as they were passing through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, so he says to us today, remember my people, I am the one from whom all blessings flow. 
I am the source of all your good. Apart from me, you have no good thing. Remember this. And the way he shows us this is three times in this short benediction, the divine covenant name of the Lord is spoken, Yahweh. Three times in this passage, we read, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And in case we missed it through the threefold repetition of the divine name, we, we see it at the end of the passage where God ends with these words, I will bless them. I'm the one who's going to bless my people. The Lord, the Father. The Lord, the Son. The Lord, the Holy Spirit. God, the three in one, is the source of all joy, the spring of all blessing, the only one who can truly satisfy our hearts. Everywhere else we turn is a broken cistern that can hold no water. God is telling us here, I have made you for Myself. And your heart is forever going to be restless until it finds its rest in Me. Remember the source of all your blessings. Once you've drunk from Him, you're going to be wanting to come back for more and more and more. I love the old prayer of A.W. Tozer in the pursuit of God. He says, Oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want You. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me Your glory, I pray, so that I may know You indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And then give me grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. This is a great time of year to renew our passion for God and to ask Him to cultivate in us fresh longings for Him desires for Him that would propel us forward into more prayer and more earnest seeking after Him as, as a brother here preached last week. And this passage, this word of blessing from number 6, it's like a beacon of light. It's calling us up from these misty lowlands where we wander. And it's saying, would you turn from your broken cisterns and begin afresh in pursuing Him who is the source of true blessing. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from the broken cisterns and returning to the fountain of living waters. And if that's what repentance is, repentance is not bad news. It's a call to refreshment. It's a call to life. One of the great preachers in the early church, John Chrysostom, put it like this, Be ashamed when you sin, don't be ashamed when you repent. Sin is the wound. Repentance is the medicine. Sin is followed by shame. Repentance is followed by boldness. Satan has overturned this order and given boldness to sin and shame to repentance. 
We don't want to be ashamed of repentance. We want to continually return to God, the fountain of living waters. And that's what we should do when we hear these words, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's a call to take in the good medicine of repentance together so that we can drink and and receive the balm of all the blessings that God has for us in Christ. That's the first thing God wants to do in our hearts when we hear these words of blessing spoken over our lives. It's a call to return and repent to the one from whom all our blessings flow. But that's not the only thing God is doing in this passage. When we hear these words of blessing, secondly, God is enlarging our understanding. He's enlarging of our understanding of what it truly means to be blessed. And we need that, don't we? Because if there's ever a word that's become a Christian cliche, it's this one. Hashtag blessed. I mean, we just use it for whatever. But the antidote to this cliche is not to stop using the word. This is way too an important word in the Bible to abandon it. We need to use the word blessed. And the answer is not to stop using it. It's to let God fill it with meaning. This is a word that is rich with meaning. And that's, that's what he's helping us understand as we hear these words of blessing. The first thing we see is the Lord bless you and keep you. This is speaking of the Lord providing for everything we need, protecting us, guarding us from all evil, from all harm. Whether it's food or clothing or housing, what does Jesus tell us? Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. I I need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. Sometimes I get anxious. Am Am I going to have enough? Are my needs going to be met this year? And my heart can start to get restless and agitated. Well, when I hear these words, the Lord bless you and keep you, God is reminding me, I will take care of you. I will be your provider. I will be your protector. You can trust me. He guides our future as he has our past. And he's orchestrating every aspect of our life so that it's in sync with his purposes. And his purposes, he tells us in the New Covenant, are to do us good with all his heart, with all his soul. And he will never ever turn away from doing good to us. He's able to keep us from all schemes of sin and Satan and from all our adversaries in this world so that nothing our enemies do can ultimately sabotage His good purposes of grace and salvation in our lives. God's blessing in our lives encompasses all those things. But is that all there is to being blessed? Is God's blessing limited to providing our needs and protecting us from harm? No. With each phrase in this blessing, there is an increasing number of words and consonants in the original language. It's like a poem that's designed to build in us a heightened awareness of how generous God is with every increasing line. One commentator says, this gradual escalation 
conveys in literary form the sense of God's multiplying and cascading gifts. So provision, protection. After that, we read this second phrase in verse 25. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Every child longs to see her father's face shining on her with approval, with delight. Some children grow up never seeing that or rarely seeing that. Some children grow up and their father's face is absent or distracted or buried in their iPhone or indifferent or disapproving or condemning. And if that's you, if that's been your experience, you know that even in your adulthood, there's something in your heart that craves, that longs for your Father's shining face. You long to see His face beaming with approval. I remember a year ago this month, Kate and I visited the home of our son and daughter-in-law. They live in St. Charles and we see them frequently. And we love to go over there and and spend time with with Nate and Sabrina. Uh, But of course, in the last couple of years, there's been a new attraction that's drawn us into their home more frequently. And that's our, at that time, she was our 10-month-old granddaughter. And it had been several days since we had seen her. You know, in several days is too long when you've got a 10-month granddaughter. And so we went over to the house, and, and Nate, I don't know why he did this, but he gave me his garage door opener so that I could just show up in his house at any time. I try not to just um, bombard them with visits, but uh, they knew we were coming, and, and so we used the garage door opener, and we went into their home, and they've got this, like, raised ranch, and uh, they were downstairs in the lower level. And so when we came into the home, I snuck over to the landing and looked down the few stairs, and there she was, our little granddaughter, Charlie Joyce. And she didn't realize we had come into the house. And so when we came and and came to the landing, I got down on my knees, and, and I was looking, and I went, Charlie. And she looked up at me, and when she saw me, she just started clapping her hands in delight. And for me, that was all I needed to fill up my joy tank for weeks to just see my granddaughter's shining face, delighted to see me. And I wonder, is that how you imagine your Heavenly Father's face will be when He sees you, when He welcomes you? When he looks upon you, is that the image you have of your heavenly Father toward you? A face that is shining with delight. And will you clap for joy when your gaze meets with his shining gaze? That's the blessing the Lord tells his priests to pronounce over his people. The Lord wants His people to experience His face beaming with delight over their lives. 
He wants us living under the shining face of His approval. And He doesn't want us only to experience this for fleeting moments here and there. He wants us to know that we are the object of His constant, careful attention. And that brings us to the last phrase that expands and enlarges our understanding of blessing. In verse 26, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. This goes beyond the look of delight. Now we're seeing that we have God's undivided attention. Now the Lord is saying to us, not only does my face beam with delight, but my eyes are fixed upon you to strongly support you, to hear your prayers, to attend to your every need. God wants us to experience His presence not just in a general way, He wants us to know His face and His eyes are riveted on us. Imagine you're at a dinner table with 14 guests. You're all in the room together. You're all present to one another. You're all seated around the table. You can see everyone at that table and they can see you. And you can speak to anyone if you want across the table. But seated right next to you, there's a guest, and your face is turned to him, and his face is turned to you, and you're engaged in an active conversation. God wants you to know that that's what you, his people, experience with him, your God. It's not just an occasional, we've got God's attention now. It's a constant relationship in which God lifts up his countenance upon his people. He shows his favor to his people. Not just the sense that God is in the room, but he's paying close, personal attention to you. That you're in a face-to-face, eye-to-eye relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Moses, who wrote these words, knows something of what that was like. In Exodus 33.11, it says, The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. That was Moses' experience. But now God is telling Moses to speak this blessing over all his people. And he's not just speaking it to them in general, he's speaking it to them individual. The yous in this benediction are singular. They're spoken to each of the people of God. God wants each and every one of us to know the blessing of face-to-face, intimate, personal friendship with Him. So how can this be? How can this be? If that's what blessing means... If that's how God enlarges our understanding of what it means to be blessed, we've got to be asking, how could this possibly be? And that brings us to the third thing God wants us to know every time we hear these words of blessing spoken to us. Thirdly, God is reminding us in this blessing of the only reason He can bless us. The only reason. I'm sure many of you are thinking, this all sounds great. But seriously, there's no way God's smiling at me this week. 
There's no way God's looking on me with favor right now. I don't see a beaming face of delight from God. He saw the way I blew up at my kids. How could he be lifting his countenance on me today? He knows how I've lusted and lied. How can he possibly smile at me now? I've drunk far more than I should from those broken cisterns and now I'm choking on the vomit of my regrets. And you're telling me that God's blessing rests on me? Sorry. I can't believe that. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm suggesting that while we are sinning, God is smiling. As if somehow... There's not a thing we can do to displease God. That's not true. Anyone who's a loving parent knows that's not how it works. Our children are the object of our delight. But that doesn't mean we're smiling at them saying, oh, aren't you wonderful when they're tearing the house down with their disobedience. To the contrary, because we love them, because we delight in them, We discipline and correct them, sometimes sternly. But their disobedience does not mean we stop delighting in them or that we stop loving them. And their disobedience does not mean that we fire them, that we cast them out of our family, that they stop being our children. I think the Puritan poet John Donne expressed it sensitively. Listen to this. He's speaking to God. He said, Though thou with clouds of anger do disguise thy face, yet through that mask I know those eyes which, though they turn away sometimes, they never will despise. Through the mask, I know those eyes which though they turn away sometimes, they never will despise. That's right. How is it that these eyes of God, though they turn away sometimes, they never will despise those who belong to Him, even when we are unfaithful, even when we are rebellious, even when we never deserve to see His smiling face again. How can it be that those eyes will always be filled with tenderness and love and His face will ultimately and eternally beam over us with everlasting joy and pleasure? How can that be? Well, I can assure you, This blessing is not based on your performance, on how well you do to deserve it. If you look at the verses preceding these words of blessing in number 6, you'll see the instructions for taking a Nazirite vow. To be a Nazirite was to live a life of utter consecration and devotion to God. These were... These were the people who were set apart as belonging to the Lord in a unique, singular way. And it's interesting, as you look through the Old Testament, you don't find 
many actual examples of Nazirites in the Bible. I'm not talking about a Nazarene here, someone from the city of Nazareth. It's Nazirite, N-A-Z-I-R-I-T-E. And you don't find many of them in the Bible. Though there are at least 12 passages that talk about Nazarites, there's only one person who's actually mentioned as one in the Old Testament. You know what his name is? Samson. In the book of Judges. How did his life of complete consecration to God turn out? Not so great, you may recall. So if God's blessing is based on our performance, we're doomed. But isn't it striking in this chapter about the Nazarites, the blessing at the end of the chapter isn't just for them. It's for all the people. And notice, God doesn't instruct the priests to merely pray for his blessing upon the Israelites. He doesn't say, actually, may the Lord bless you and keep you. He pronounces his blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's a declaration. Chris Costello writes this, Blessing is more than a polite wish. Its articulation shaped the trajectories of lives and nations. Blessings illustrate the effective movement of sovereign grace from heaven to earth. Blessings illustrate the effective movement of sovereign grace from heaven to earth. And this is the reason we can be confident in God's free and unwavering and irrevocable blessing on our lives. It's because of the effective movement of God's sovereign grace from heaven down to earth. That's why there was only one time in the service of the tabernacle when the priest could pronounce this blessing, and that was at the end of the service, after sacrifices had been made to cover the sins of God's people. In order for sinners to experience God's blessing, blood needed to be shed. A sacrifice needed to be offered. And all of those sacrifices, they were only shadows. They were only pointers to the only sacrifice that could really take away the sins of God's people once and for all. God can be gracious to us and God can pour out blessing on us and God can beam with favor and delight upon His children because God had a plan to send His Son from heaven to earth. Sovereign grace came down from heaven to earth. And Jesus, He lived a life of singular devotion to God. He was completely separated from sin. He did obey the law of God down to every detail. There was nothing that brought Jesus more delight than doing the will of his Father in heaven. He earned the blessing of God over his life by his obedience. And when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, his whole being was physically illuminated with the glory of his Father's face shining on him. But Jesus was willing to experience the antithesis of his Father's shining face. He was willing to be numbered among the transgressors. He was willing to lay his life down and surrender his hands and his head and his feet to the crown of thorns and to the cross of wood. And there's where he became a curse for us. And instead of hearing the words, the Lord bless you and keep you, 
He heard the howls of heaven, the howls of hell shouting, the Lord curse you and abandon you. And instead of the Lord make his face shine upon you, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And instead of the Lord lift up his countenance on you, Jesus felt the full-throttled wrath of God fall on him and creation itself turned out the lights and left him in utter darkness. When instead of receiving God's peace, Jesus bore the brunt of hell's anguish for us. That's the only reason God's blessing can come on any of us. It's in Christ alone that our hope is found. Before we move to the last thing that God wants to show us, teach us, the way He wants to transform us through these words of blessing, I just want to pause here and invite each of you personally to respond to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for sinners through His perfect life and His sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus has made it possible for you, though you don't deserve it at all, to experience God's everlasting blessing and favor on your life. Not just for the few short years that remain here on this earth, but forever in a new creation. You can live in everlasting joy and happiness because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The gospel, the good news from God, is that everything you and I deserved because of our sin fell on Jesus. He took that. He took the punishment we deserved. And everything Jesus deserved because of his righteousness can now fall on us. The blessing he earned can fall on our lives. There's no blessing outside of Jesus Christ. So don't gamble your everlasting joy and blessedness on your ability to earn God's favor. I can assure you, you've already blown it. I've already blown it. But Jesus has taken the curse our sin deserves so that we can earn the blessing, so that we can receive the blessing He earned, and we receive it as a gift by grace. It rests on Jesus and it flows to us from Jesus. So if you haven't yet turned to Him and received Him as your Savior, I appeal to you now in Jesus' name, to be reconciled to God. To be made right with God by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. By saying, I'm not going to rest on my own merits. I'm not going to act like I can deserve this or I can earn this. God, I'm turning from trusting in myself and I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my hope in Jesus alone today. And if that is what God is doing in your heart, if you are trusting in Jesus, you can be confident that because of Jesus, his blessing rests on your life. And when he blesses us, his blessing changes the trajectory, the direction of our lives forever. And that's the last thing I want us to notice from this passage. When God pronounces his blessing on us, the fourth thing he's doing is God is reshaping our identity as he sends us out into the world. That's why these verses end with verse 27. These words. 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So when the people are hearing the priests pronouncing this blessing, they are putting the name of the Lord upon the people who belong to the Lord, and God is blessing them. He's giving them a new identity to be His people in this world. When an orphan gets adopted into a new family, he gets a new name. And with that new name, a new identity is formed. He belongs to a new family. And with that family, he doesn't just get a boss, he gets a father who loves him and who promises to care for him and provide for him. And with the new father comes a new security. I now belong to someone who will never leave me nor forsake me. And with that new security comes a new accountability. Now, in all I do, I want to honor the name of the one who has blessed me and brought me into his family. So as you go into the world, Rock Valley Bible Church, you bear that name with you wherever you go. You're not just whatever your name is. That's not your identity anymore. You belong to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. His name marks you. You're His people. You represent Him. His fragrance, His aroma rests upon your life. Realize this, you are the closest likeness to Jesus Christ that some people are ever going to see this week. You represent Christ wherever you go. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Kenosha, many Sundays my grandma and my great-grandma would take me with them after church to go visit shut-ins in the nursing home. And I I loved to do that, largely because before we visited the shut-ins, they'd take me out for lunch to Big Boy Restaurant, and I could get whatever I wanted. And I remember driving in the car with my grandma, and she'd always be singing hymns about Jesus in the car. And many of those hymns stick with me to this day. And one of the ones she loved to sing is the one that goes, Take the name of Jesus with you. Child of sorrow and of woe, it will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet hope of earth, and joy of heaven. That's what God gives and places on us, His people. A new name, a new identity, a new security, a new accountability, a new mission, a new purpose. As you go into the world this week, remember who you represent. You are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, And the Holy Spirit, that's a holy thing. You're unlike the rest of the people out there in the world. You are the representatives of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Know that you are blessed with an irrevocable blessing so that you can become a blessing, as we read in Psalm 67. The Lord blesses us so that all the ends of the earth might fear Him. So let's stand together and let's pray And I will have the joy of pronouncing God's blessing on your lives. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us and for the grace that it communicates to us, for the hope it gives us, that in spite of all the ways we have forfeited and don't deserve your blessing, nothing can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray, God, for anyone who's here this morning who's just for the first time understanding the good news that we can be blessed because Jesus was cursed. I pray, Lord, that you would give life, that you would give faith to people today to trust in you, to turn from trusting in ourselves and to trust in Jesus. If that is you right now, and if you want to respond for the first time to the Lord Jesus, you can just say from your heart with me, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will. He will. For all who have trusted and are trusting in the name of God's dear Son, and saying from your heart, in Christ alone my hope is found. Receive now these words of blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Go in the love of Jesus and the peace of Jesus and share his love with one another. Amen.